you know, someone has said, if you can't preach after everything I've seen and experienced and heard, then you are really in bad shape. So I, I feel really well prepared after everything that was served up to me already. If you need a worship guide, raise your hand and these great ushers will get you a worship guide. It's got some great stuff in it and reminders. Don't forget to read the, uh, the very first page where it ex- describes uh, some things about uh, Hunter for the Hungry and then... There's, we'll make some announcements at the end of the service, but all the announcements are in the back of the bulletin, the worship guide. So make sure to follow along, and we'll be repetitious a little bit at the very end of the service. Well, we've come to the end of our December series. We did a, no, a November series and, and then a December series, and this has been uh, about Christmas, being about love and being spelled L-O-V-E. So listen as I lay a foundation for the message. First of all, I want to say this. That man's greatest need is to love and to be loved. Man's greatest need is to be loved and to be able to love, to give love. You see, sometimes I, I think we, we stop at the receiving end of love. And I love to be loved. But I'm going to tell you, I have another need. It's a great need. It's just as big as the first one. To be loved is to give love. And all of us here today have that need as well. And so we're going to look at what God calls a new commandment. But not only is it a new commandment, it is the last commandment that Jesus gave of all his commandments. The last one. This is the last commandment he gave before he was arrested and crucified. So as he gives this commandment, and we, and we all together identify the context in which he is giving it, and we'll do that in just a minute, I want you to really grasp the moment that Jesus was in when he said these words. Look at John 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. What a statement. What a commandment. Love God and And love others. This is a commandment. This is non-negotiable. This is the most important thing. Gentlemen, as he speaks to these disciples in the upper room. These are things I want you to live out. So we're going to talk today about Christ-like love. Now God gave us an example of this love in the beginning of John chapter 13. So we've got to back up to find out the context in which he gave it. So look with me if you would please at verse number 1. This is an awesome five verses as we look at this together. I want you to see it with me. It's incredible. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now come into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God, he, Jesus, riseth up from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. 
Now, for just a moment, I want to stop in the middle of that story, and I want to give you an illustration, if you will, of what it would have been like to be there in in, in Bible times. This is a wonderful custom that was was practiced in, in Bible days. See, in Bible times, people wore sandals and not laced up shoes. I have laced up shoes this morning, but if I was living back then, I would not be wearing shoes like this. I'd be wearing sandals. And people didn't wear socks back then. I've got some socks on to cover up my pearly white legs. But people back then didn't wear socks. They wore barefoot. And they wore sandals. And then back then, you've got to remember that the roads were not paved like they are today. There was no asphalt in Bible times. There were not uh, concrete and cement in Bible times. In Bible times, there were what? Dirt roads. And so you take a a foot, a barefoot, inside of a sandal, walking on dirt roads, and what that equals is dirty feet. (laughs) And uh, a lot of dust, a lot of grit back then, a lot of... A lot of dirt on, all over the ground and in, 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 in the, in the, on the feet of people who walked back then. Now, if you were to come into the home of a well-to-do person in Bible times, what would happen is you would walk into this home and, and, and to your left there would be a bench. Not a large bench, a small bench. Bench enough for someone to sit and take their sandals off. Because the tradition was that you take your shoes off when you walk into the home of, of someone and then... And then what would happen is this, a servant. A servant would immediately kneel at your feet. They would have a basin. Some water would be inside of that basin and a towel would be over their arm. And they would immediately, before you stepped any farther into the home, they would begin to wash your feet with cool water. The servant would massage your feet. So refreshing. Has anybody ever had a foot massage? Oh, yes. Our massagist here. I love foot massages. My wife is so good at foot massages. And uh, listen, uh, sometimes, and she knows this, I'll just say, honey, can I get a foot massage? I don't know. I, I get 10 times more foot, 20 times more than I do a back massage. There's something about the, the washing, the rubbing, the massaging of feet that just relaxes you. It's so refreshing. And so here Jesus is instituting the Last Supper just before the Passover. And when they come into the house, there's no servant there to wash their feet. Someone dropped the ball. Or no one was willing to do that. And so Jesus, the Bible says, takes off his outer garment. He takes it off. He's bare-chested. He then takes a towel and he wraps it around his waist. He fills a basin with water and Jesus, the Lord of glory, knowing that the Father had committed all things into his hands, he knew where he came from, Jesus kneels down and begins to wash the disciples' feet. It's very important that you are as into this story as you possibly can be because everything's going to come out of that story. So would you, the best we can, would you watch this video with me and let's walk through Scripture and see the foot washing of Jesus for just a moment. Thank you. It was now the day before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world. 
and go to the Father. He had always loved those in the world who were his own, and he loved them to the very end. Jesus and his disciples were at supper. The devil had already put into the heart of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, the thought of betraying Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him complete power. He knew that he had come from God and was going to God. So he rose from the table, took off his outer garment, and tied a towel round his waist. Then he poured some water into a wash basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and dry them with the towel around his waist. He came to Simon Peter. Are you going to wash my feet, Lord? You do not understand now what I am doing, but you will understand later. Never at any time will you wash my feet. If I do not wash your feet, you will no longer be my disciple. Lord, do not wash only my feet. Wash my hands and head too. <laughs> Those who have taken a bath are completely clean and do not need to wash themselves, except for their feet. All of you are clean. All except one. Jesus already knew who was going to betray him. That is why he said, all of you except one are clean. So here we are in the middle of that story. That's a very good picture of what we have just read. And so what I'd like to do is give you an incredible lesson on love based on Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And so as we give you these four thoughts, I want you to write them down. Four things about Christ-like love. Number one, Christ-like love is selfless love. It's selfless love. And I'm going to confess to you just so the ground is level and I put something out on the table right away so you don't feel attacked or threatened at all, but I am one selfish person. Sometimes Eric Apasius just seems to have to struggle in his flesh with being full of his self. And aren't we that way? Don't we all struggle at times with just being so rotten full of ourselves? Every book or most of the books we're told to purchase uh, at the bookstore have to do with self-love, self-esteem, self-fulfillment, 
self-glory. Yet we find the Lord Jesus Christ humbling himself to do the work of a slave, to do the work of a servant. The Bible says he laid aside his garments. He was willing to, to take his reputation His reputation of being king of kings and lord of lords, of having the greatest title anyone could ever have, the perfect, sinless son of God. Lay it aside to wash filthy, dirty feet. I think the greatest example of scripture we can find of this would be what Paul wrote about Jesus in Philippians chapter 2. Pay close attention when he said, listen, I want you to think like this. I want you to get this mindset. Everybody listen. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Listen, this is what God was like. Listen to me. This is what Christ was like. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He knew he was equal with God. But here's what he did. He took upon himself Uh, rather made himself of no reputation and and took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and here's what he did. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Jesus stepped out of sovereignty and he became a slave. He stepped out of heaven to become one of us. He took upon himself our sins so we one day could spend an eternity with him forever in heaven. That's the kind of servant that Jesus was. That's the kind of love he had, a selfless love. It seems that so many of us, and I can just speak about my profession in the ministry, we seem to fight for reputation. It's in our DNA. It's who preachers are. We like titles. You know, we like to be recognized confessing to you this is what we struggle with i don't know what your life is like what you do and what your struggles are at work but i know this where i where i live in my little world a lot of it is just who, who's on the docket there who's speaking what kind of degrees do you have and how many do you run and we tend to fight for reputation which is totally against what the bible teaches jesus himself said no reputation jesus laid that aside You know, we like to talk about how we came from nothing to something. Well, Jesus, he came from something and made himself nothing. Wow. That's the kind of God we serve. It's so so well illustrated in a passage in Luke chapter 22. What's so brutal about this passage that blows my mind is these rascals who just got their feet washed, that same night this was going on. The same night. You would think they'd learned their lesson, but this is how hard-headed we are. And there was also a strife among them. The same night as the foot washing. Which one of them should be the greatest? I want to be recognized. I want, I want Jesus to call my name. And he says to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. In other words, simply interpreted, listen, the, 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 the pagan, pagan people act like this. People that are lost and fighting in the world for, for reputation and position and don't care who they step over. That, that's the way the world is. That's the way you're acting, men. But you shall not be so. But he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger. And he that is chief as he that doth serve. 
Jesus never says, don't be great. Notice, he that is greatest among you. Jesus is all for being great. Jesus wants his people to be great. Jesus is not preaching against greatness here. He doesn't say, don't be great. He just says, make sure it's real greatness that you get. Real greatness is serving others. That's greatness. That's the most important job you can have. Real greatness is service. Real humility is not thinking lowly of yourself. Sometimes I think we get this idea that, well, you know, I'm just, you know, don't, not just me. I'm no big deal. I don't care if I'm getting recognized. No, 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 no. That's not what humility is. Look at verse 3 of our text in John 13. I mean, this was hum- Jesus was as humble as they get. But look at here. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things to do his hands and that he was come from God and went to God. Jesus knew who he was. He wasn't thinking lowly of himself. Jesus, knowing all of that, all of that, knowing he was somebody, he still was willing to be a servant. Can I tell you something? I'm somebody. I am. I'm somebody. I am a born-again, blood-washed child of God. That's pretty good. That's a nice title, don't you think? That's better than being pastor. That's better than being the best at this or the best at that. To be honest with you, the greatest title I have is I am a child of God. I'm born again. Hey, (laughs) he's a good, good father. And he he loves me and, and I love him and that's who I am. I know who I am in Christ. That's what's great about being a Christian is our identity is in Jesus Christ, not in all these other things in the world. He laid aside his pride. In in Romans chapter 12 and verse 3, the word says, For I say, though through the grace given unto me, that to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man a measure of faith. Think about that advice. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, especially in the church. Because here's the message. The message is this. We ought to love one another. How do I love you the way I should love you? How do you love me the way you should love me? Because I'm going to tell you right now, the church has done a really bad job of showing communities God's love. We've we've messed it up. I mean, it's not been until recently that, that our churches in Hot Springs have really started to love each other and one another, and it's changing our city. I mean, we got Baptist preachers doing funerals at Nazarene churches. How do you like that? That's a first. What that is, that's... We're starting to love one another. Feels really good. But the church has been rotten at it. You don't have any idea, in my profession, how many pastors I talk to whose churches are, are exploding with problems because people are arguing and fighting and can't get along. They're jealous. They don't like this. They don't like that. There's gossip. It's so sad. And so Jesus says, wait a minute. Here's the new commandment. Love one another. So how do we do that? Let me give you five things. First of all, you've got to realize that you are what you are by the grace of God. That ought to be everybody's mantra. I am what I am by the grace of God. I am not what I am because of you. I am not what I am because of my wife. I am not what I am because of my degrees. I'm not what I am because of anything other than this, the grace of God. 
So here's five quick words to help you and I both love one another. Number one, it's the word grace. What is grace? Grace is simply God's acceptance of me. God accepts me. I'm saved by God's grace. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it, but somehow God loves me. You're a good, good father. <laughs> it's who you are, it's who you are, it's who you are. And I'm loved by you. That's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am. You're perfect in all of your This is incre- God's grace. He loves me. And so grace is God's acceptance of me. That's a great start for you and I loving one another. God accepts us. Let me give you a verse. Ephesians chapter number 1 and verse 6. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. God accepts you just like you are. Number two, it's the word faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. What does it take to be saved? It takes what? Faith. So what is faith? Faith is my acceptance of God's acceptance of me. I'm saved by faith. You know what faith is? Faith is just say, saying this. God, you love me no matter what. You died on the cross for my sins. I accept that. I accept your grace. I, by faith, I trust you, God. So grace is God's acceptance of me. And faith is my acceptance of God's acceptance of me. Now, when God accepts me and I accept God, then guess what? I can accept me, and that's peace. That's peace. Oh, listen. You know, God has accepted me in the beloved. I know that. I'm at peace with God. I'm at peace with myself. I'm not you, and I don't want to be you. I want to be me because God made me special. God made me unique, and I'm comfortable in my own skin. I realize this is who I am. I don't have your story and you don't have mine, but praise God, we've each got our own and it's unique and special to God. And so I'm at peace. I can accept me. And when I accept me, guess what I can do next? I can accept you. And that's love. That's the word love. And so there should not be anyone. If, if, if I understand God's grace and his love for me and I accept that love by faith and I accept me and have peace and I learn then to love you and that is love. Listen, God's people should love one another unconditionally. We should have patience with one another. That's what Christmas is all about. L-O-V-E, I love you. There is no room for ego in the church. There's no room for competition in the church. God, because of his great love for us, wants us to love one another. And that's when I accept you and And then number five is the word fellowship. You accept me. I accept you. You accept me. It's like we love one another because we we understand. We have this peace and this love. Now we want to fellowship. And that's why we can get together and say, let's shake hands. And it's like not long enough because we just want to love and share and hug and celebrate God's goodness. Man, the best day of the week is when God's people get together. Amen. I love this. Man, I, I, I wish everybody could have been on the inside of today. Baptizing old JoJo. Man, hanging out with him this week and, 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 and getting to dedicate little baby Liam and, and then getting to experience some of the things this week that I've had the opportunity to experience. The elders and the deacons party last yesterday afternoon was just so sweet and special and powerful and, and some of the events we've had during the Christmas season and then just some of the things that we get to do with one another. It's just, it's awesome to fellowship with you. 
That's what God wants. So Christ-like love is selfless love. Number two, Christ-like love is steadfast love. Your love, love never fails, never gives up, never runs out on me. That's steadfast. And on and on and on and on it goes. He just keeps loving and loving and loving and loving and loving me even though I'm not that, un- I'm not that lovable. I'm not. I mean, God just somehow keeps loving me. Oh, listen, Peter's going to curse God in just a, uh, just a little bit after this. He's going to curse him. He's going to swear at him. He's going to deny him. Peter got his feet washed. Wash my head. Jesus, wash my hands. Wash every part of me. <laughs> if Jesus would have been cynical, he would have said, yeah, and you're going to deny me in just a few hours. But Jesus knew he'd love him through that. We'll get through that, Pete. It's going to be fine. Think about John and, and, and how that just in a few hours, John and, and James were going to fight about who is the greatest, but he just kept loving them. You know, many times I think we excuse ourselves of love because we've been mistreated. We excuse ourselves. Of, well, I, I just, you know, you don't understand how they treated me. You have no idea. what I, 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 No, I, I, don't, I don't have anything to do with that person. I don't really think I need to make my point after this text and message. I mean, really, have you been mistreated? Really? Really? I mean, church, can't we love each other through these little things? Whatever they are, I don't, I'm not thinking of anything right now, but whatever they are, can't we take Jesus' advice since he was such a good example? Oh, I believe we can. And so I say to us today, let's learn to love one another in spite of how sometimes we feel we're being treated. Jesus facing the cross showed love. And here's a great statement. If your so-called love cannot stand the test of tough times, you don't have real love at all. Tough times are coming. In your family, in your relationships, in your marriage, in church, tough times are coming. Your love is going to be tested. And if you don't have love that can't stand the test of a tough situation, you do not have real love. Any pagan love can love when times are good. But Jesus wants to know, can you love under pressure? When you're being pressed, when you're being bothered, when somebody's getting on your nerves, when you don't like the song, when you don't like the smell, when you don't like the situation, when you don't like it, you're bothered by it. Can you love anyway? Can you fight through that? Oh, listen. If you want to see what you're full of, or if you want to see what someone else is full of, just shake them. Just jostle them a little bit. Just make them uncomfortable, and whatever comes out is what they're full of. And most people in church get angry, get frustrated. They get sick of it when they're shaking just a little bit. Love doesn't come out. Something else comes out. And that's what they're full of. Because the only time we can be tested is when we are pressured. And then the real us comes out. May love come out. Jesus is on the cross. Can anybody imagine more pressure than that? You're hanging from a cross. And you're saying, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. That's what came out of Jesus, love. And so let's, let's ask God to help us to have that same steadfast love. Has anybody had a, ha, ever had a fair weather friend? 
Anybody ever, ever had one of those? I have, yeah. I mean, a fair weather friend, if you don't know what one is, it's a friend that they're around when things are good. They're around when it's comfortable. They're, they're there for you when it's good for them. A fair weather friend. Jesus is not a fair weather friend. He is your friend in good times and in bad times. He, he doesn't care what you do. He will never let you go. That's why we sang that song a moment ago. In death, in life, I'm confident and covered by the power of your great love. Isn't that awesome? You know what we were singing? Do you know what we were singing in that song? Scripture. Romans chapter 8, verse 35 for the screen, and I'll read past it. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, shall distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword? For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God. Nothing. Your love never fails. So may that be said of us. Nothing can separate us from loving one another. Nothing. Nothing. There's no limits to the love we can have for those we call brother and sister in Christ. It's awesome. It's this Bible. It's right there in front of us. And the Christ-like love is serving love. It's serving love. This is a powerful thought, but if you'll notice in verse 4 and 5 here, he, ri- he rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself, and then he poured the water into a basin, washed their feet and wiped them with the towel. He served them. Here's the, here's the message. What I'm doing right now is I'm speaking with my tongue. I can't do this without a tongue, right? So I've got this tongue, and this tongue lets me speak. And so what I'm doing right now is I'm speaking to you. Don't be too impressed with my sermon, okay? Don't ever be too impressed with a preacher's sermon. Because really all they are words that's all they are i mean they're good and we need to preach it and you got to hear words but i'm going to tell you what i believe the lord jesus how he does not want us to love he doesn't want us to love in word and with our tongue he wants us to love in deed and in truth love is not real love until love becomes action until then all it is is just mere words Real love knows no job that is too lowly to do. I'll tell you one thing. I'll do anything down there. Don't ask me to clean the toilets. How many of you are glad that somebody doesn't feel that way? I love clean bathrooms. Ask my family. They know this. We're fixing to go on a road trip. My wife knows. She'll say, honey, I got to go. And when my wife has to go, you know her story. If you don't know her story... You know, she'll tell you. <laughs> she doesn't have a colon. So sometimes when you don't have a colon and you got to go, you got to go. But she tells me way before she's got to really go. You say, I cannot believe, Pastor, you're talking about your wife having to go to the bathroom. If you've been a member here, this is normal. <laughs> if, you're, if you're a guest, just figure it out. So she tells me, though, she knows now because she knows I will not stop at a trash. We ain't stopping at no trash or gas station. We're going a pilot. 
I like Pilate. Loves, usually loves. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, loves, loves you because their toilets are clean. And so I like a clean gas station. So they know when the family says we got to stop, they know daddy is waiting for a nice lit up exit with uh, tons of gas pumps, you know, and activity and, and big bathrooms with a row of stalls. I mean, I like it. And I'm thankful for whoever the dude is that's cleaning the toilets. And I like to walk in the bathroom and see the little paper that says 1 o'clock, 1.30, 2 o'clock, 2.30. And they're all checked. I like to go in where it's been checked. I mean, it's been signed. There's initials there. We cleaned the bathroom in the last 30. Amen. You say, well, man, that's just kind of a lowly job. I'm going to tell you something. There is no job too lowly for Jesus. Jesus made himself dirty so you could be clean. Jesus got down in the toilet of life, in the defilement of life, in the muck and mire of life, this sin-sick world, disgusting things happening in our world today. We see it. We, our minds are blown. I can't believe that happened. And Jesus said, oh, yeah, I died for that. Yeah, on Calvary, that was on me. I had that one on me. That's the only way they can get saved is if I would have took that dirty, rotten, filthy sin and put it on me. So I, I've been in that dirty, I've been in that situation. Who are we to say we're not willing to do anything for God? We ought to serve one another and be willing to serve. Listen, Judas was there and Jesus washed Judas' feet. Judas got his feet washed. Wasn't it Jesus who said, bless them which persecute you and do good to them which despitefully use you? You see, Jesus did not practice what he preached. He preached what he practiced. That's a better That's a better way to do things. Let me give you a definition of love. It's the best one I've ever seen. Love is not giving to someone else what they deserve. Love is giving to someone what they need. If I got what I deserve, Darian, I'd be in hell. You too, by the way. If I got what I deserved, I don't deserve what I've got. I don't deserve my wife. I don't deserve my children. I don't deserve this church. Honestly, if I got what I deserve, I know me. Do you know you? I, I don't feel like I deserve a whole lot. I don't feel like, you know, uh, you, you better be glad of who you got. No, I'm just glad you don't really know everything about me because I definitely would probably not be pastor of this church. I don't deserve this church. I don't deserve my wife. I don't deserve heaven. I don't deserve God's love. But God said, listen, we're not dealing with deserve. We're dealing with need here. The world needed me to come and die for their sins. You need my love. God is concerned about what we need, not what we deserve. Well-known preacher stops uh, at a restaurant in an airport before he loads a plane, and he sits down for a, a breakfast. Waitress walks up with a scowl on her face and an angry tone. You want some coffee? Yes, ma'am. Want some juice? Yes, ma'am. Want a menu? Yes, ma'am. Is that all you can say is yes, ma'am? Yes, ma'am. She storms off and brings him his coffee and spills it on the table and eventually brings him breakfast and never checks on him. She comes back in a few moments, lays the ticket on his table and he leaves a $20 tip. She walk, he walks out of the restaurant and she comes to clean the table. Sir! Sir! You left $20. 
Won't they lift hips around here? Sir, you, you would leave me a $20 tip after how I have treated you? Oh, listen, I, I, I saw you when I first walked in. I could tell you've had a tough day. Everybody deserves to have a bad day. I, I figured this probably isn't really how you are. I just figured you were going through some really bad stuff. You have no idea. My child is sick. I was late for work. My boss has docked my pay, and my husband and I aren't getting along. My life is a mess. You have no idea how true that is. He came back into the restaurant, sat down at the table, led her to Jesus Christ. She got saved. You see, she did not get what she deserved. She didn't deserve a $20 tip, but she needed it. And that's love. That's love. And that's how God loves us. And then finally, Christ-like love is sanctifying love. Sanctifying love. What does that word mean? That is a big word sanctification. You know what? You and I both are going to learn what that word means. I'm not a big word preacher. I'm a little word preacher, but I I can figure out by studying what something means. I'm going to show you what that means. Look at verse number six of John chapter 13, and we'll close this sermon. Then say, then cometh he to Simon Peter and says, Peter says, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? And Jesus says, what I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter says, you're never going to wash my feet. And Jesus says, if I wash thee not, you have no part with me. Simon says, Lord, not just my feet then, but my hands and my head. And Jesus says, he that is washed needeth not to save to, save to wash his feet, but is clean. It's clean. It's clean every whit. And ye are clean, Peter, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, you're not all clean. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and, had, and was set down again, he said to them, know ye not what I've done to you? You call me master and Lord and you say, well, for I am. If I then, your Lord and master, have washed your feet, ye ought also to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Now what Jesus is doing here is he's transitioning this entire story. It's going from physical foot washing. It is going from taking dirt out of in between somebody's toes. And it's transitioning into symbolism which is this. The cleaning of spiritual defilement. In everybody's body. You see all of us. Are spiritually defiled. That's why the Bible calls. Salvation. The washing of regeneration. What can. Wash away my sin. Right. We talk about washing. We talk about cleaning. Oftentimes in scripture. The example is given about washing and cleaning. And it's almost as if he's talking about taking some sort of bath. But what he's saying is, no, no. Symbolically, that's what happens when you're forgiven of your sins. You're clean. How many times are you saved? You're saved how many times? Once. And so put that next one on the screen, Ken. You're saved only once. 
but you have to keep getting your feet washed. You see it? I'm saved only once. I mean, thank God he saved me. Hallelujah. When I was 13 years old, Jesus saved me. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. What a day. But I'll tell you what, I've needed a whole lot of washing since then. I mean, I've, I've made some mistakes. I've said things I shouldn't have said, thought things I shouldn't have thought, did things I shouldn't have done. I know you're disappointed. I'm disappointed in me. I can't believe it sometimes. I'm like, you idiot. Why did you do that? You know better than that. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you that I could come to you and say, Father, forgive me. I've made a mistake. Cleanse me, Jesus. I want to do better. I want to, I want to, I want to be more like you, Jesus. Help me. And Jesus says, oh, I understand. I had Peter. Remember that? He was a rough one. And old Pete and I had a few conversations. Peter got to be used of God in ways that we would have never imagined a cusser could have ever been used. But God has a way of cleaning us up. God has a way of using us in spite of us. Wow. Sanctifying love. This Christ-like love. So even though we're saved, we have to be washed on a regular basis. And so, in closing... I want you to imagine those doors opening. Can you see them opening? Let me open them just so you can see them. And something's going to happen when I open them symbolically. Jesus just walked in. Not me. See him? He's there. And he's going to walk up to you. And Jesus is going to say today, can you imagine this? Can you imagine if this really happened like it did in that video? He walks into this room and he says, I want to wash your feet. Wow. I want to wash your feet. And he takes your feet and he begins to wash those feet with his hands. And he takes a towel and he dries your feet. And then he says this. He hands you the basin and the towel and he says... Now wash mine. Oh, oh, sure, Jesus. Yes, I would love to wash your feet. Right? Surely. But here's the problem. That can't happen. Because Jesus isn't here. Or is he? Because the scripture says, where two or three are gathered together, there am I in the midst of them. So I got to figure this out. Jesus is here according to Scripture, but how is he here? And then he says, inasmuch as you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. I think I'm getting it. So this is how, this is how I wash Jesus' feet. I wash yours. And when I wash yours, I'm washing Jesus's. When I love you in spite of your mistakes, I'm loving like Jesus. When you love me in spite of my mistakes... You're loving like Jesus. So the way to love Jesus more is to love you more. And to love this world more. And to love people, not the world, cosmos world, but the people part of the world. That's how we do it. So Jesus is here. And he does want us to wash feet. Not literally necessarily. Although there are some churches that still practice that. We don't hear, not because we think it's wrong. Just we, it's not our tradition. But it is our tradition to serve and love one another. And sometimes we don't do so good at it, and sometimes we do good at it. And I'm hoping this sermon will help us to really start all of us doing better at it. And so, I'm going to fail you, church. 
you're going to fail me, but let's love one another through it. Do you know somebody who needs their feet washed in your family? Somebody who's done you wrong? I'm going to ask you to humble yourself. Feels good to have your feet washed, doesn't it? Well, I'm starting to find that it feels better to wash somebody else's. So have that selfless love, that steadfast love, that serving love, that sanctifying love that Jesus had when he washed his disciples. Dirty, filthy feet. Because Jesus said, I don't have a reputation. I don't need a reputation. I just want to serve. Every head bowed, every eye closed. With our heads bowed and eyes closed as we finish this series on love, in Christmas.